I'm so glad that you've made it out here to our final class for honest answers to honest questions. And I'm looking forward to covering this, this question, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? So get ready. Get ready to take some notes. Um, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, for our time here. Lord, we pray you guide us in our, in our time, in our discussion. Lord, these are important questions we've been covering. And Lord, we certainly aren't going to cover them exhaustively. Lord, there's so much to say and so many areas that we could look in Scripture. Thank you that we can, uh, Lord, for a f- few minutes here tonight, explore this question that many people have uh, in their hearts and minds. And Lord, it's an important question to us individually, to us corporately as your people. And it's a question that we should, uh, Lord, be excited about answering and engaging in others uh, as well that we talk to. Lord, we have hope. We have Christ. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Our identity has been transformed. We have purpose and meaning and significance. And Lord, we thank you for that. God, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of it all? Maybe you've asked it this way, who am I? What's, what's my life all about? Well, your life is not an accident. There's a purpose and a plan for your life. You have great value and worth in God's sight. And really, what it, what it comes down to is you're called to know God, to enjoy God, and to display God. Now, we could say it a number of ways. We are called to know God, to enjoy God, and to display God. And I think a little comparison is, is good sometimes. And so we want to look at what the Bible teaches and then talk about what our culture teaches as well. The Bible teaches that man consists of both body and spirit and is created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says, that man is created for God's glory, his fame, his renown, and that we were made to display the majesty of God and that we have no purpose or significance apart from him. The Bible addresses that. Our culture assumes and teaches that man is purely material, the product of mindless, purposeless forces, a cosmic accident brought together by chance, that we're the result of just a random evolutionary process or something like that. And this means that our lives don't have any purpose or final destiny apart from whatever purpose we make up for ourselves. The Bible teaches that man has rebelled against God and has fallen from his original state of innocence. Our culture teaches that man is basically good. The Bible teaches that man needs divine grace or salvation. Our culture teaches that self-actualization, really knowing yourself, being proud of yourself, becoming the self you are always meant to be, is the key to happiness and fulfillment. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> you ever seen the books? <laughs> And what do you think? See, the way to significance and identity is found in the one true God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. We are called to know him, to enjoy him, and to display him. And as I considered what passage to, to walk through and discuss tonight in the, the time that we had, I, I was immediately drawn to Philippians chapter 3. I go here a lot. Um, it's... It moves me. It, it affects me. It, it just it helps center me again and again. There are several, several chapters that I'll, I'll turn to frequently. This is one of them. 
And in Philippians chapter 3, we have two perspectives that are given. And the first perspective is a heart and mind set on Jesus. But let's, let's begin reading in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have, I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Uh, and he, this is a church that he dearly loves, that he finds great joy in. These are people um, that he, he loves and has labored with. And he, he goes on, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if some point you, uh, if some point you, if on some point, excuse me, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears. So pause here he's he's writing this with tears in his eyes many live as enemies of the cross of christ their destiny is destruction their god lowercase g their god is their stomach their glory is in their shame their mind is on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Two perspectives are given here. The first perspective is a heart and mind set on Jesus. What's the meaning and purpose of life? It's to know God, to enjoy him, and to display him. And Paul here in Philippians 7 helps us to see that the first perspective, we can have two perspectives when we're facing life. And that the first is a heart and a mind that's set on Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, we see his heart, his passion. I want to know Christ. He, he wants an experiential knowledge of Jesus. That's what he wants. He, not just a head knowledge. Not just a knowledge that says, okay, I, yeah, I, I know. Or even a knowledge that says, I agree. But a knowledge that says, I believe, and this belief is causing me to respond, to react. It's a belief that moves us. It's an experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Paul's desire to know Christ and not just simply be acquainted with Jesus, it, like some kind of Facebook friend. You know, you might have a lot of Facebook friends. Um, for those of you who are on the internet, Alice, I know you're not on the internet. But um, we have hundreds of friends maybe that we would never talk to outside of Facebook. But it's not like that at all. It's not just an acquaintance. Uh, instead, it means he wants to become like Jesus. 
He wants an experiential knowledge of Jesus that leads to transformation and change. It's, it's intimate. It's relational. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus Christ. And, and Paul understood that, having encountered him on the road to Damascus. And so he understood that all the law and the prophets were fulfilled in Christ. And so he understood that looking to Christ was looking to God. And if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. You remember, well, of course, we spoke on it this, I spoke on it this morning, Adam and Eve, and how they hid from God. They covered themselves with the work of their own hands, those fig leaves, trying to show, really cover the guilt that had come upon them. And it wasn't enough. They still felt shame, and they still hid from God. It wasn't enough to cover the guilt. And, and there's this incessant guilt that mankind carries. Each individual is trying to do something with that guilt, no matter who they are, no matter who he or she is. They're trying to go somewhere with it, bring it somewhere. What do you do with the guilt that we've, we've all uh, received and that we all have? Man continues to run and hide and try to cover it up. And so the truth is that significance and identity and purpose and meaning was all lost at the fall. We're trying to regain it somehow and find it in things and others and going places and doing things. But the more we cut ourselves off from the transcendent creator, the less significant we become. And the result is this downward spiral. The more we try to put uh, ourselves or puff ourselves up by cutting ourselves off from God, the less there is to puff up. And, and so your purpose in this life is wrapped up in God's glory, seeing him for who he is. Not, 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 not an inward gaze, but an outward gaze at who he is. That's where meaning and significance is found. It's a heart and a mind set on Jesus. That's the first perspective that we see. It's, it's looking to God and his glory. Now, what is glory? There are a lot of words that we need to define in scripture. It's that we can say, that we can discuss, that we can throw out there, and we, we don't really, we're just used to talking about. But glory means weightiness, it's importance, preeminence, this priority, or that which is our greatest treasure, our deepest longing, our fountain of hope. It's a weightiness, it's a heaviness. When we speak of God's glory, it's who he is. It's his fame and renown. Do we pursue him? Uh, do we look to him? What we hold in the place of glory is in effect our real God, despite what our religion might be. What do we look to? What do we delight in? What do we applaud? What do we rejoice in? Man's natural propensity is to live for our own glory rather than to seek the glory of God. And so when Jesus came, he came as that second Adam and as our representative and lived a perfect life and died a death in our place. So in Jesus, hopeless sinners are restored as God's image bearers. That's where significance and identity and meaning is restored. We're recreated. That's what happens. We're, we're made new. Made new creations in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this. So we have purpose in Jesus to live for something so much bigger, so much greater than ourselves. We've been made to bring God glory. And when we do this, we find the greatest joy and fulfillment. Why? Because we were made for it. Paul understood this. He says, I want to know Christ. I want an experiential knowledge of Christ. It's not simply acknowledging God occasionally. It's celebrating who he is. It's delighting in his very being. And so 
You might have heard this, but St. Augustine said, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. It's true. We run after all kinds of things. But until we, we see God for who he is in the face of Christ, our hearts are, are restless until they rest in God. I remember several years ago, I had my first snorkeling trip experience. And I, I, uh, this is actually more than that. But um, when, I, when we got off the boat and I, I had the goggles on and we, we went below the surface, I just remember being blown away by what I saw. All the beautiful colors. I mean, all the fish, the coral reef. Now, there was a sea turtle. <laughs> um, it was beautiful. Amazing. You see the sunbeam just kind of coming through the, uh, the water. It was, it was so picturesque. And, and I remember thinking, there's this whole world underneath the surface of this water that I knew nothing about, that I, I didn't know was so beautiful until I, I went below the surface, until I, until I put on those goggles. I also started to think that I'm in a body of water called the Atlantic Ocean. And, and I could at any moment here uh, become bait. <laughs> so I, I started to feel very vulnerable as well. I looked at all the beauty around me and I was, I was excited about it. And I wanted to learn more and explore different parts of the coral, coral reef. But I was also very humbled by how small I felt. And very humbled when I saw the shark. Um, <laughs> We're, we're called to delight in God, explore him, to see him for who he is in his word. Uh, apart from his word, we wouldn't know a lot about God. I mean, most of what we've come to see, I mean, we can enjoy and, and know things about God through creation. Creation reveals truth about God. Oh, but, but God's word, it, like these goggles, it gives us a whole new world, a beautiful world, a world that also... Uh, causes us to stand in awe, causes us to stand in, in, in that, that fear that, wow, we're, we're pretty small, aren't we? And yet he's included us in. He welcomes us in. And, and so here Paul is saying, I want to know Christ, not a surface knowledge. I want, I want an experiential knowledge that takes me beneath the surface, that experiences the glory, the weightiness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want that to be my perspective in all of life. I know that true meaning and significance is wrapped up in that. He made me for that. That's what he made you for as well. A heart and a mind set on Jesus. The second perspective that we see in Philippians is a heart and a mind set on earthly things. And we see this in verse 19. Their destiny, actually if we back up, He's speaking, he's writing with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. So what's happening here? Their God is their stomach. What's that about? They're just running after, after whatever they, they want, you know, whatever their lusts tell them to run after. Their God is their stomach. Whatever their, their appetite says to run after is, is what they're pursuing. Their glory is in their shame. You know what that is. I mean, it's people who boast in shameful things because they feel like, well, that's what everyone else should boast in and, and is boasting in. And why don't you, you join me in that so I don't feel so guilty? 
I got to do something with my guilt, so maybe I'll just suppress it. I'll ignore it. And we heap upon ourselves even more and more guilt. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. So the second perspective and group of people that Paul was pointing out was those who had a heart and a mind set on earthly things. We're really, we're going to bump into things that promise happiness and, and it just will come up wanting. You know, things that, that, that promise happiness, that promise joy, that seem to be those, those things that will fulfill. And in the end, we, we, say, we see that, wow, it, it just, it's coming up wanting. It, there's there's, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Hey, you can get a nicer car and a bigger home and more kids and <laughs> another degree, but all that won't satisfy. All that in the end continues, uh, it does not satisfy the, the restless heart that's there. And so where do we go with that? You know, lust is never satisfied. It's, it's like a hungry monster. I mean, you just keep feeding it and it wants more. It promises uh, satisfaction. It tells you that it'll be satisfied. You know, if you just have whatever, you fill in the blank, then, then you'll be fulfilled. And then you get it and you're hungry. You're, you're, you're lusting for more. It's never satisfied. When we truly know Jesus, when we truly know Jesus experientially, when we have a relationship with him, we'll truly love him. It's inescapable. See, Jesus loves you more than you could ever know, and he's shown it on the cross. And so we live in light of that truth every day. Every day we're living in light of that truth. Christians, who, Christians are people who let that reality, the reality of Jesus, change everything about who they are, how they live, how they speak, what they do, what they hope in, that's, that's what a Christian is. A follower of Jesus, a disciple, who lets the reality of Jesus change everything about who they are. And, and I want the reality of Jesus to change me, to continue to transform me, how I speak, what I hope in, what I pursue. I'm called, you're called to know God, to enjoy him and to display him, to know God personally and experientially, to enjoy him, delight in him, Celebrate his glory, the splendor of who he is, the weightiness of who he is, to display him, to promote him, to invite others to see him for who he is. That's where meaning, purpose, and happiness is found. That's where it's found. I want to turn our, uh, to First Peter, if you would, chapter 2, one of my favorite passages. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So Peter is writing to the dispersed and persecuted church filled with Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles as well. And he's giving them, he's, he's, he's assigning to them titles that would have belonged to national Israel in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. It's because they now are the, the true Israel, the true people of God, those who by faith look to Jesus, Jew or Gentile or non-Jew. And he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Let that sink in. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. 
Let it sink in. Let it affect you. You're chosen. He has pursued you. If you're chosen, he's done something to pursue you. You're a royal priesthood. A priest? A a priesthood? What does a priest do? A priest takes others by the hand and directs them to God, points them to God. Is that that, uh, one who helps explain who God is? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart, a people belonging to God. You're his possession. It's like you've got written over your heart, you belong to God, you're his. Why is that? goes on to say that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's your calling, regardless of who you are, regardless of how old you are, regardless of where you are. This is part of what you were called to be and do, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I love this so much because it just... It's like a, like a mission statement for me. It reminds me of my identity in Christ and the mission that he's given me. It reminds me that I'm, I'm part of something bigger than just myself, my, my own little kingdom. I don't want to build just a, a kingdom uh, about me. I mean, we're, we're, we're part of something so much bigger. And when we see what, what God has brought us into through Christ, when we see that he's included us in his story, when he's, he's brought us into his kingdom, we see we're just so much, we're, we're part of something so much bigger than anything we could come up with on our own. And it's exciting. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, there's purpose behind this, a holy nation. You're not given these titles for nothing. You belong to Jesus. Now do something about it. Respond to it. Once you were not a people, but now you are. So what? So now declare, live, proclaim. This is who I am, and this is what I'm called to do. My identity, my purpose is wrapped up in Christ. There are these two perspectives wherever we go in life, those who have their heart and mind set on Jesus and those who have their heart and mind set on earthly things, whose God is their stomach, who boasts in what is shameful, Do we have the courage to bring the truth of Jesus and what we've come to know and embrace to our friends whose God is their stomach? Do we love them enough to do that? I I want to more and more. I want to live in the joy of knowing Christ. I want to know him. I want to enjoy him. And I want to display him. Meaning and purpose is wrapped up in that. 